0: Welcome to Fried, the Burnout Podcast, Season 5. The goal of each Fried episode, whether you're an entrepreneur, parent, employee, or otherwise defined, is to create moments of spontaneous healing by ensuring that you feel seen, heard, connected to others, and validated. By doing this, Fried fulfills its mission to kill the shame, blame, and judgment associated with burning out. And Fried adds to its original goal of creating a movement to hashtag end burnout culture. Should you need a coach, Fried coaches are standing by to help guide you through recovery. Book a call anytime by visiting the links in the show notes. Should you need a speaker, you can hire me, Kate, and you can rest assured that your people will have fun and learn about burnout at the same time. In the meantime, I'm ready to give you this week's episode, which will help you heal just a little bit more, starting now. Hello, Fried fans, and welcome back to another episode of Fried the Burnout Podcast. Today, we are talking to my friend, Nicole Khalil, who has a new book out. woo Nicole, remind me of the title of your book.
1: Validation is for Parking.
0: How hysterical is that? So- <laughs> Before we even get into it, I want you to go grab it right away. And if you don't grab it right away, don't fret. It will be in the show notes so that you can get it immediately after, because I know once you hear Nicole and her story today, you're going to want it. So Nicole's passion for eliminating gender expectations and redefining quote unquote women's work is both what keeps her up at night and what gets her up in the morning. Well, that and an abundant amount of coffee. An in-demand speaker, leadership strategist, respected coach, and host of This Is Women's Work podcast, her stalker-like obsession with confidence sets her apart from the constant stream of experts telling us to be confident. She actually tells you how to build it and gives actionable tools, not just stories, to become confident. A fugitive of the C-suite at a Fortune 100 company, she has coached hundreds of women in business, which has given her insight as to what structurally, systemically, and socially, is and isn't serving women and leaders within an organization. Maintaining some semblance of sanity in her different roles of wife, mother, and business owner successfully is an ongoing challenge. In whatever free time she has, she enjoys reading and wine guzzling, is an avid cheese enthusiast, a hotel snob, and a reluctant Peloton writer. Nicole, welcome to Fried.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Kate. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I'm so excited to hear your story. We start every Friday the Burnout podcast episode with your a burnout story that you would like to share. Anyone is fine. A lot of people that come on here have multiples. <laughs> like, where do I start? <laughs> yeah. Which one do, do I, I choose? Is it's is like very, today? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Is very frequently the question. So you can choose anyone that happens to come up right now. I have a very deep faith in the conversations that happen in this space. And I have a very deep faith in whatever is coming out for you right now is the thing that people need to hear. So I'm going to step off stage and let you have at it.
1: All right. I really could choose so many stories, but I think my big burnout story uh, is a professional one. Um, I worked at a Fortune 100 financial planning company for um, almost 15 years. And moved up very quickly in the ranks. Uh, worked my face off. You know, I was one of those get in at seven in the morning, don't leave till nine o'clock at night, go in on the weekends because I had something to prove. Right? I, I, uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, the finances industry is still to this day very male dominated. Um, about twenty percent of of the people who work with clients in finance are women. And at the time I was doing it, it was even less. And then if you look at the leadership ranks, it's fewer and fewer numbers. So the, uh, being the only woman in the room was like a daily occurrence for me. And what I did to, at least in my mind, to survive was I really overemphasized any masculine qualities that I have. And I do have quite a few. Um, or, or that we think of as masculine, very decisive, blunt, um, you know, don't mind taking risks, uh, want to be in leadership, but all, all of those things. And so I just really over-rotated and I ended up shoving down, ignoring all the feminine. And over several years, I I was so burnt out in that I wasn't even myself anymore. Mm. People would talk about my confidence because I showed up confidently. And it just got to a point where everything looked really good. I was racking up successful professional successes like left and right. I I had a above average spending problem to go with my above average income. Uh, I drove the nice car, but you know, was really lonely on the weekends waiting for Monday to come because I wasn't putting myself out there. It was just a messy, messy time in my life. And what I, what I, I came to realize is I didn't know what confidence was. I just knew I didn't have any of it. And I didn't know who I was authentically anymore. And, um, I was hating my work. I was hating the people I was doing it with through no fault of their own, just because I I'd put myself in this position where I tried to show up and please everyone else, but myself. And I didn't really know what I was doing it for anymore. Um, so I I can talk a little bit about how I got past it, but that is my burnout story where, you know, after 15 years of doing everything I could to get to a certain promotion, which I finally got. And when I got it, I was excited for about three seconds and then all the fear and doubt and all the stuff that was there before, um, came streaming back in. And I realized this was not about goals or achievement. This was not about a healthy approach to success. Um, and something had to change.
0: Yeah. I always have a, like a funny moment in my head when people are like, I hated myself. I hated everybody. I hated everybody I worked with. This is such a burnout thing to me. And I grew up on Wu-Tang. So I don't know about you, but I grew yeah. I grew up with the clan. And whenever I hear that, I think like, you know, to the tune of cash rules, everything around me, I think I hate everyone around me. Like this is what <laughs> happened in my
1: head. I love it. So my theme song is like I have ninety nine problems, but being a bitch ain't one. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is like I always I always think about that as such a an extreme sign of where somebody is when you cannot find any joy in being with yourself or being with anyone else. There's a problem.
1: A hundred percent.
0: There's a problem. There might be a couple of assholes that you just don't like. Cool. I'm okay with that. But if you hate everyone, yeah. The problem might not be everyone. And that's really tough. During that time, were you having physical symptoms? Like was there were you having any like health things going on during that time?
1: You know, it's um interesting. I have always had a weird Fluctuation with weight. Yeah. And I do think that, I, you know, I stored a lot of my emotions, you know, because mm-hmm. they weren't, I didn't feel comfortable communicating them. I didn't feel comfortable sharing them or showing them, especially in my male dominated field, especially the more, you know, I put in air quotes feminine emotions like, yeah. God forbid I should cry or, right. you know, right. be dramatic or something like that. Yeah. And so I think I stored. Uh, it, it, my emotions in my body, and it showed up in weight gain, and you know, no matter what I did, I couldn't lose it. But I would say the biggest symptom was, um you know, I was drinking heavily, yeah, uh, and having lots of regrets, um you know, and yeah. hangovers and and all of that, and it was just I just didn't want to be with myself by myself. And a lot of the events I would go to for my company, you know, all the other guys were drinking heavily and, you know, going out and I, you know, refused to see how it was different for me. Like my husband actually said at one point, he's like, you should not be drinking the same amount of alcohol as a 200 pound man does. This is just science. This This isn't like a, you know, me being... Not a feminist or something.
0: <laughs> were you married when this was all happening?
1: It was. I wasn't, no. Yeah. No, okay. I was very, very single, painfully so.
0: Painfully because, single.
1: Because I felt the expectation was that I should be married and dating yeah. and all my friends were getting married. And
0: it was interesting.
1: Yeah. Then I started doing the like embodiment of Sam from Sex in the City, which there's nothing wrong <laughs> with that character. If that's authentic to you, it wasn't authentic to me, but I was trying to do the like, Who needs a man? I'm gonna sleep with people and not care, except that I did. Yeah. Um, it was just a messy, messy time all all around. around. And and fundamentally came down to what you were saying is I just didn't like myself and I didn't know myself. Um, I was well, you can't like yourself if you don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a somebody did a poll on LinkedIn recently and it was like what is the opposite of burnout was the question he asked his name is joey chandler and he said what is the opposite of burnout and the highest result came back as energized and the second highest result came back as aligned Hmm. what do you think about that
1: yeah so when you asked the question i was like is she gonna ask me i don't know the answer um a piece came into my mind Hmm. is um but i like aligned uh for me, it's um, I would almost say confident, trusting myself, um, knowing myself. Aligned. I like aligned. That yeah. that resonates with me.
0: Yeah. I thought energized that
1: might- is hard for me because I'm naturally a little bit of a low energy person. I'm a diehard introvert, a homebody. So when I think of energized, I think of like bubbly and outgoing and like woo And i I just don't do that a lot. <laughs> um so obviously- I think of
0: energized as sort of the ability to engage with and be excited about your work mm-hmm. or your life, not, but it doesn't have to be excited, like bouncing off the walls, but the uh, an ability to focus, you can't focus if you're not energized about something. So, you know, that moment, even introvert, not introvert, before you get on stage, there's that moment, you know, yeah. like, or like 24 hours of a moment of a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of, you know, kind of a mixture of things, but those feelings to me, even though there is some anxiety, those feelings to me are energizing Mm -hmm. because I know I want to be doing that thing.
1: Yeah. I love that space of that nervous and excited feeling at the same time, fear and, 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 so, um, I actually think that's the sign I'm up to something big and that's where all of the best things in my life have come from is mm-hmm. that dual feeling. I think, um, in my work with people who identify mostly as women, um, I think women, uh, far too often are waiting to be ready they're waiting for the fear and the nervousness to go away and only have excitement and readiness and i'm like oh gosh we're waiting too long there's so much good that happens in that sort of 50-50 space where like from one second to the next you're like what did what am i doing and yeah. like oh my god i'm so excited i'm doing
0: it you know yes yes we call this excited around here
1: <laughs> i like that yes <laughs> we- i know that feeling very well and i love it
0: we call this excited. So, what is it that you're doing now?
1: Yeah. So my uh, work boils down to speaking. Uh, the book has taken a fair amount of time in the last year and a half, and then uh, I do some coaching work as well. And for me, it, it's around confidence. My mission is eliminating gender expectation expectations and. Basically, having all of us reconnect to our confidence, our confidence hasn't gone anywhere. So whether you feel uber confident or not confident or anything in between, our confidence lives inside of us and it's accessible anytime we want. We have just been socialized and received messaging to the contrary pretty much our whole lives. And so I really want to you know, uncover what I call the confidence con. Um, which is the belief that confidence is going to come to us from some sort of external thing, meaning the person of our dreams, getting the promotion, having perfectly behaved children, making a certain amount of income, having your house be perfect, whatever the case may be. We often operate or what the number on the scale says or what size clothes we fit into. um, We often operate as if confidence is like this weird way, game of where's Waldo. Like our confidence is out there with someone or something else. And we just got to find it. Um, It's this false equation of if X happens, then I'll feel confident. And it doesn't work. It never works. The reality is confidence lives inside of us and confidence in its simplest form is when we trust ourselves, when we choose to trust ourselves. And we all have an inner knowing. We all have an inner voice. We all have purpose. um, We are all valuable and worthy. And and our opportunity is to begin to trust ourselves
0: again. All right, so let's get into this self-trust because what I see frequently in the burnt out amongst us is that they've lost the ability to trust themselves because they don't know who they are, what they want, where they're going, when they have to pee, they don't know anything. So how right. can they, what are they supposed to trust? Like they get told, listen to your intuition. They, they're like, I don't know if that's my intuition or last night's hamburger. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. I often, you know, that inner voice, it's like, which voice am I listening to? The yeah. one that has a running to-do list of like, you know, go to the dry cleaner, get it at the grocery store. Don't forget to buy a Gorgonzola cheese. Then there's that <laughs> voice in our head. That's like insane. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. Like it, what's the difference between blue cheese and Gorgonzola? Is there a difference? Like, why am I thinking about this right now? Right. <laughs> and then there's what I call head trash. This is the voice inside our minds that says things to us about us that are never kind and very rarely true. It's the voice of often others um, that we've accumulated through the course of our lives, whether it's bullies, um,
0: parents, bosses,
1: exes, well-intentioned family members and friends um, or
0: not so well-intentioned
1: or not so well. Again,
0: some people are just assholes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's contributing, right? Yeah. so we have this head trash, this internal voice um, that is mean and it's a bully and it's constantly in our minds. And then there's that inner voice. And so if you think about it, it is really hard to listen for that, especially when we're out of practice. So, you know, we know things like meditating or being quiet or asking yourself questions. What do I want? What do I really want? Um, I love your work in this, Kate. What is my resentment telling me about me and what I want and what's important? My values, you know, there are so many things that we can be asking ourselves. But I think um, priority number one is separating so not operating with your head trash as if it's your inner knowing. And the best way to distinguish between the two, your head trash is mean. If you would not say what's happening in your mind to somebody you love, if you wouldn't say it to your partner, your best friend or your child, then it's head trash. Because inner knowing may challenge you. It may say something you don't want to hear, but it will always come from a place of love and kindness it will be what you would say to your child or to your best friend or to a close coworker. It may not again, be what you want to hear, but the where it's coming from is the best way to distinguish between the two. And we just need to get quiet and listen for that inner knowing a little bit more. And it's like anything, the more we practice, the easier it gets. Um, and, and, And the last thing I'll say is, is, our bully voice that head trash is very loud or inner knowing is often very quiet. So um, don't beat yourself up. Don't give yourself head trash about having head trash. If you can't hear (laughs) your inner knowing, just give yourself some space and some time it's there. I promise.
0: I'm creating right now an infographic of, you know, head trash versus inner knowing. Like that that's happening in my mind right now. So that's a note to my podcast producer to make that into this week's infographic. Yay. Okay,
1: good. (laughs) But I want to
0: say this sentence once again, which might become the title of this episode. You said stop interacting with your head trash as if it's your inner knowing. Shit.
1: Shit. Right. Oh God. It's so painful if you think about how often we're believing the crap yeah. in our own minds and like interacting with it as if it's truth with a capital T. It's um like I actually even get emotional thinking about it. It's uh painful. And we so many people have contributed to our head trash, ourselves included. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't. So I think about it at, like regular trash. My husband, my child, when we have friends over or a dinner party, other people contribute to the trash, but it's still my responsibility to sift, Take sort, and discard it mm-hmm. every time. And so I have to decide what gets recycled, what gets brought back for another purpose or another use, what gets composted, what can I use for growth, um, mm. and and then what is trash. What do I need to discard and let go of never to be seen or thought of again? Um, And and the last thing I'll tell you that I've learned from regular trash, it's also true about our head trash. It gets disgusting when it's hot out. And what I mean by that is when you're stressed, overwhelmed, um, under pressure, your head trash is going to get gross. Like mind maggots, right? And you might need to put on gloves and do the whole thing to discard it, but you that's where we really have to do that extra work. And and if nothing else, if you can do nothing else, name it, call it head trash, call it what it is. So you don't operate with it as if it's some sort of truth or inner knowing.
0: I really love the trash analogy. It's working for me. I, I have a lot of pictures in my mind, a lot, a lot of interesting things happening in there. <laughs> But it is, it's trash, it's just gross. Yeah, Yeah. I love the idea of what can I compost? Like what's here for growth? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, I think what's missing in the world right now because of the internet, and I think the internet has done a lot of really wonderful things. It's proven that the more people have access to internet in developing countries, the less um, health disparities they see in Amongst communities, so this is this is massive. Like it has made a lot of people healthier simply because they have connection and contact to things that they might need. So cool, and everything that we create um, ends up having a side effect or two. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just yeah, normal a shadow side, right? A shadow side. That's just normal. It's just normal, and I think people want to always sort of throw out the baby with the bathwater. But one of the things that I See what the internet is. We're trying to fit things into Instagram-sized squares. And that means that we are aiming for strong sentences that will get people's attention that don't leave space for nuance. Mm-hmm. So the message that you just gave requires a lot of nuance and discernment on your part. It's not, you didn't say, throw away your head trash you said sort, sift, discard. Right? discard. Yeah. That's different. What things need to be kept? What things need to be recycled? What things need to be composted for future growth? What things actually need to be thrown out? And so I think in the world of the internet, the message would just be throw out your head trash, but that's not really the message.
1: Yeah, and I'll give a couple examples because sometimes people are like, "Oh, what's the difference?" So the reality is, you're the decider. You decide what you want to compost, what you want to recycle, what you want to trash. That's the beauty of it all. Is is that it? it, It's yours, and it's all all your decision. So that my examples could easily be something different for someone else, but uh, as an example for compost. Um, I was told very often that I was too ambitious, and 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 really, what I was being told is I was too ambitious for a woman. Um, and I really composted that, use it for growth. Yes, I'm an ambitious woman. I have goals. I have things I want to achieve and accomplish, and and there, like that's become a source of pride for me, and it, and it is a big contributor to my success financially, professionally. And so that's an example of taking something that could have been head trash, but I used it for my growth. Another example for recycling is um, I, I have a loud voice, and as a child, I was very loud, and 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 people would always tell me, "Yeah, <laughs> I know you're, right. yeah, um, the, you know that I was too loud and too opinionated." Um, too talkative. And I did it. what any loud and opinionated person would do. I started a podcast, right? And yeah. so I recycled that. I used, turned it into something that was different in a way that worked for me. Yeah. We're Uh, both
0: podcast hosts and professional speakers. Yeah, exactly. I I was like top of my class kind of kid, like super nerd. I also got most talkative in my eighth grade class. Usually the super nerd doesn't get most talkative, you know, like those things don't really go together, but I got super nerd and most talkative and I got, God, I didn't have a problem getting straight A's, but I got sent to the principal's office for not being able to shut the hell up sometimes. And now I'm like, you know how much they pay me to not shut up now?
1: Yeah, isn't it the best? <laughs> Great recycle, right? Yes. thank goodness for that. Yeah. Um. But, you know, like somebody, I had an ex-boyfriend who told me, you know, I would never find a long-term relationship as long as I was so career oriented. No man ever wants to be with a woman who, you know, blah, 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 right? That's trash. Yeah. That, Got thrown out, and I never interacted with it again, as if it was something worth interacting with because yeah just
0: trash. I want to talk about how trash gets created also because the I have this thing that keeps happening in the back of my head as we go through this conversation. and it's if you have well-intentioned or not parental figures or caretakers as you're growing up, not everybody has um you know parents, mm-hmm. and you have caregivers growing up that said nasty things to you you might be primed based on that to interpret other people's information to you as trash when it's really compostable or recyclable mm-hmm. because you uh, assume a malintent and or and or you pile on their comment on top of the trash heap, the land dump, that you've kept from your childhood—that is, was never true in the first place—but is stuck in your brain, is in your neural networks, is is there. So, is there a? Do we just go back to this basic idea of a head trash is mean, and inner knowing is not like? Is do we do we start to sift through that based on that, like kind of more simple paradox to give us a little bit of? uh, structure for it, structure to deal with it.
1: Yeah. So, you know, let me start by saying my heart hurts for any child who, you know, grew up where the head trash was being contributed to way too frequently, way too young, way too, because, you know, that is going to be a huge challenge to overcome. You're really going to have to retrain your brain. Um, and and I don't say this flippantly. I say this with the most amount of respect that I can. That's where I think therapy is absolutely yeah. the place to go. It's necessary. Um, I'm not equipped to help people uh, process through that. And, and, and yeah, me because there are people who are. And yeah. I've gone to therapy many times and I'm a huge advocate. So same. Um, I would enlist a professional's support to help you to distinguish and to unravel. Um, But yeah, I think fundamentally it's, and 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 also say every parental figure has contributed to our head trash, even if they were the best in the world Mm -hmm. and the most loving. And all of us who are parents are contributing to our child's head trash, whether we like it or not, it's just part of the deal. So we all have things to unpackage and to um, unravel. I really think in in its simplest form, the best way to distinguish is mean bully versus loving kind. And again, loving kind can still be challenging.
0: Can still be firm.
1: It can still be firm. Mm. The other thing too, is somebody may say, say something to you. Somebody else may be the mean bully and you may decide to turn that within yourself into loving kind something to compost or to recycle but that's you know what we get to do we get to decide how to react and how to de- easier said than done for sure uh, but it it's an important part of trusting our ourself is to check in what do i think what do i believe how do i trust myself and, and what's really interesting about confidence building is it's done best during the hardest times, it's easy to trust yourself when everything's going to plan,
0: yeah.
1: when everything is working out, when everything's sunshine and rainbows. Trusting yourself during that time is not that hard and it feels great and I enjoy those times. But leaning into trusting yourself, true confidence, when things are messy, when they're tough, when they're not going at all to plan, when the you know what hits the fan, that's where uh, our real opportunity to build confidence lies. Um, so it's easier said than done, like so many things and requires a ton of practice and also an awareness that it's only ever always a journey. Yeah, Nobody arrives to confidence, plants a flag and is like, I'm done. <laughs> that was fun. You know, right. So it's not like climbing the of rest where you hit the top and it's um, an ongoing journey.
0: Yeah. Like, like all, like all of them, right. This, that's such a, That can be really annoying or really freeing, depending on where you're at today. Yes.
1: Well, and I love that you said that because that's how I feel about confidence. A lot of times we have confidence as something we're born with or born without, as opposed to what it is, which is a skill or a choice that we can develop or make anytime we want. And to me, that's freeing. Yeah, that's exactly. good news. That means no matter where you are on your confidence building journey, you you can have more of it, and I love that for us.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about your book. Yeah, okay. I'm just gonna ask You're you. Very shoot. Excited? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, I want to talk about your book, and I also want to like. There's a there's clear neuroscience that says getting positive reinforcement for job well done actually changes your brain structure and makes you more resilient, Mm -hmm. makes you more resilient to stress. So I love the title of the book. And the first thing that I think of is like, but there's neuroscience that says validation is important, you know? So (laughs) I I call it icing on the confidence cake. Oh, I love that. Yes. So yeah, let's so- get into it because again, we're at this place where the punchy headline does the work, but there's still nuance in there. So let's get into that nuance a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yes, compliments, validation, achievements, all the, uh, all the things that I, I talked about before when I said, if X happens, then I'll feel confident. There's nothing wrong with those things. They feel good they're helpful. The problem is if we think we need those things to trust ourselves, to be confident, then we've placed our trust in something or someone else's hands and just not confidence anymore. So what I would say is confidence, the confidence cake is choosing to trust yourself over over and over and over and over again all those other things, validations, compliments, achievement, promotions, perfectly behaved kids. Those, um, are icing on the confidence cake. They, they make it a little sweeter. They make it look better and and, and, and it's a more, uh, beautiful thing. Um, but it's not a necessary ingredient for the cake itself.
0: Right. That makes I sense. mean, I do love eating icing right out of the,
1: Hey, I think especially for those of us that identify as women, we have um, gotten that mixed message over and over again that our confidence is very closely directed, uh, correlated with how we look. Yeah. And that is really damaging. That to me is like the biggest example of the confidence con. Um, You know, if you look a certain way, weigh a certain amount, fit into a certain size, you know, have the certain clothes or whatever, then you'll feel confident and it's like, Ooh, you'll feel attractive and feeling attractive feels good. Or you might feel successful and feeling successful feels good. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting to feel attractive or wanting to look successful or any of those things where the problem is, is that we've, we've made it the same as confidence and it's and just it's not. Great. And that's why we're so confused about trusting ourselves.
0: Are you using trust and confidence interchangeably?
1: I pretty much am. Yeah, that's that's my um, like simplest way of is this confidence? Does it help me increase my trust? Does it have anything to do with my trust in myself? If the answer is yes, then it's confidence. If it's not, then it's probably something else. Not bad. And may be connected to me trusting myself, may mm-hmm. impact me trusting, may support me, may reinforce me trusting myself. Great. But yeah, I, I am, because if you go back to the etymology of the word confidence, it is trust, firm, bold trust, faith in any language. Those are the, the, the words it it ties back to.
0: Does confidence come from Greek or Latin? Do you know?
1: Latin and then went middle English is my recollection.
0: I like at my mother. I feel thing like 90% confident on that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're sure. absolutely correct. I just looked it up, you guys. Confidence, origin, Latin, confidere, to have full trust, Latin, confidencia, and then confident in late, late, late middle English. Have full trust. It literally means have full trust is where it came from. This is sort of blowing my mind right now.
1: Me, When I figured that out, when I, somebody suggested going back to the etymology, I was like, oh my God, we're using the word, like it's such, it's a catch-all word. We're just throwing out there and it's... I don't think anybody's like trying to trick us or anything. Um, no,
0: words evolve with time and we, we. but yeah. it hasn't evolved when we're talking to somebody else. Like, do I have your confidence is a question about trust. Mm-hmm. Can I trust you with this? That's the same yes. thing. But when we talk about self-confidence, that's not the, that's not the thing that comes up for me. It might be, some people may be out there thinking, yeah, of course that's what I think of. But this is, I love things like this. Things Me that too. are like oh, geek out on it. Yeah, I geek out on this big time. And this is not one that I've heard before said this way, which I'm such a geek that there's not too many of those. <laughs> so yeah. you're blowing no. my mind right now.
1: Oh my God, I love that so much. I, I went down a rabbit hole of like looking at everything that had to do with confidence. Even like um when would, I talk about a con, like the confidence game or a con artist or a con man. Mm-hmm. Um, it's trust. Yeah. It's basically getting people to trust you. So you could, it, it, I mean, the word, yeah. uh, but having said that, if you go on social media and you hear, you know, people, successful people are attracted, talking about You can be
0: confident if you do this Peloton exercise yes. for the next, <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. Now working out falls in a gray area for me.
0: Mm. If
1: you're working out to, you know, because of some sort of external reason, it's probably not going to impact your confidence. If you're working out for, it will impact your confidence internally because of the trust that it builds in yourself. When you commit to taking care of yourself on a consistent basis, when you say, I'm going to do something and then you do it, when you push yourself a little bit harder because I trust that I can, um, when you you know begin to feel strong within yourself, those things absolutely will so working out is like one of those where it's like does working out build your confidence. Yes. Yeah, it could
0: be in the recycle pile. Yeah, it could be in the recycle pile. Or could be in the trash yeah. pile, depending on what's going on. This is interesting because a lot of a lot of hmm, maybe not a lot of the correct phrasing is often on the podcast. I talk about building self worth, not by focusing on saying things like "I am worthy," but by committing to taking care of your basic foundational needs. We're not getting to exercise yet. We're talking about drinking when you're thirsty, eating mm-hmm. when you're hungry, resting Liking. when you're tired, yeah, yeah, yeah like sleeping, at, you know, instead of watching two extra hours of Netflix. Not that I'm saying I'm not guilty of that. So don't come at me. <laughs> right. And, and we joke on the podcast a lot. My listeners already know what I'm about to say. But peeing when you have to pee. You know, like not holding your pee so that you can finish one more email or just these really basic tools help to breed self-worth because you start to trust yourself. Like it's the same yeah. thing. I didn't think about it like that, but it's the same thing. You're trusting your body signals and you're responding to them and your body trusts that you're going to respond to your signals. It's this, again, we're in a closed cycle. Yeah.
1: It's incredible. I in the book I write ten ways that I know of that you can build internal trust. Um, And really, in its simplest form, I would encourage you to think about how you build trust with another person or how somebody else builds trust with you. That's probably going to give you the best insight into how you build trust with yourself. But certainly, keeping your commitments right. Yeah. For a lot of us, that means not overcommitting, and and being. <sighs> Clear Wait, slow down slow, it- down, slow
0: down, slow down. Oh uh, God, these are things that I, I half my audience's stomachs just twisted is we're talking about making and keeping commitment, but knowing what your boundaries are around what sort of commitment you can make and keep. Can we talk about that a little bit more?
1: Oh yeah. I think we are over committers and um, default yesers, right? And so I think being clear that there are differences between commitments versus "I'll do my best" versus "I'm going to try" or "I'm going to test something out" or a habit. Or you know, there's, there's all these different available words, but we often go commitment far too often, far too fast. And what's problematic is most of us do a fairly good job of keeping the commitments we make to other people, but we end up not keeping the commitments we make to ourselves. Either way, you're damaging trust. But obviously, if we're talking about confidence, trusting yourself, you're doing the most amount of damage to your own confidence when you break the commitments you make to yourself. Now, nobody's perfect. Perfectionism is a confidence derailer. Amen. Um, So I go through five confidence derailers, five confidence builders, perfectionism perfectionism is the enemy of confidence. So when I say keeping your commitments, I um, don't mean you're going to keep 100% of your commitments 100% of your time. But I do mean that we keep them more than we don't. And that when we don't, we think about what is, what was the learning opportunity here? What do I, maybe this wasn't a commitment I should have made in the first place. Maybe I, you know, know, we've got to interact with them differently, but we really want to be keeping the bulk of the commitments we make, especially the ones we make to ourselves, because not doing so is doing damage to our internal trust, our confidence in ourselves. and, And it's a big deal.
0: Yeah. So Um, in, in research, this is a really fascinating thing that I came across this year that when you, a lot of coaches, myself included do values exercises. It's one of the things I offer for free on my website. Here's a core values exercise, go through it. I've had people say this literally turned my burnout around. It's, you know, it's a simple thing. It's free, it's available, do it, use it, whatever. And yet research is pretty clear on the fact that the most you're ever going to match your own idealized set of values is about 80%. The most, the most common is about 60%. So if you're acting in alignment with your values, 70% of the time, you're like better than average. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So there's, there's no room for perfection in that. There's None. none. The research blatantly shows that it's like, some, and sometimes I talk about this with people a lot. If you have a, a, a values list, or which is a set of commitments to you, and you have a, an element, something that you'd like to do, something you've been asked to do, and it doesn't align with your values, but you still have another reason that it's important for you to do this thing, it's okay for you to sacrifice some of those values to do that thing. As long as you're doing that intentionally, you know why it's happening, and you're willing. My rule is my own personal rule, is you're willing to pay yourself back in some way. Mm-hmm.
1: I love that. That's yeah, that's so good. Because life is life. You know, there is yeah. no hundred percent, there is no perfect, and and holding ourselves to unrealistic, unreasonable standards and then beating ourselves up when we don't meet the unrealistic expectation we set for ourselves. That's just like, if you think about it logically, it's, there's nothing healthy about that. (laughs) Um, And uh, one of the confidence builders is giving yourself grace. Mm -hmm. So
0: fried fans will recognize that statement. We say that a lot around here. I love that. Give yourself grace. Nicole, I'm psyched for your book to come out. I'm so glad that we could do this at a time that supports getting it out into the world. So fried fans, now is your time to go snag Nicole's book. Do it now, do it now, do it now, do it now. And then what I want you to do after that, because this is an amazing way to support authors, is if you buy the book on Amazon, go back onto Amazon after you read it, and leave a review because once you get to a hundred reviews on Amazon, that's when the world says, Oh, this book matters. And then it sends it to other people. So if you do get this book and you love this book because you loved this conversation the way that I did, then taking that extra step would be super helpful long-term for our new friend, Nicole. Nicole, where should people find you? Or should they just go straight to the book right now, and then they can find you after?
1: <laughs> well, what you just said—I mean, you have no idea how helpful that is. So, thank you, Kate, for.
0: I, saying do, that. Have I do have an yeah. idea. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um,
1: yes, uh, if you want to go to Amazon and get validation is for parking, that's great. If you want to find me, nicoleclill.com is my website. You can find the book on there too, um, but that—that's where you'll just find everything
0: nicolacalio.com will be as per usual my fried family in the show notes for you so that your burnt out brain does not have to think or consider a goddamn thing today give yourself grace keep yourself whole and remember that perfection isn't everything until next time